Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. Restory Show, Episode 16. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today, I am welcoming my friend Sarah Bessie to this episode of The Restory Show. We met on the soil of Haiti, and we actually roomed together and had an amazing time with some great conversations. And that's when I really fell in love with her because she's just so in love with Jesus. There's just something about connecting with someone who loves Jesus so much. So today, we're going to talk a little bit about her faith journey and kind of the twists and turns that she has taken and how her husband was a steady friend and person in the midst of that wrestling and how God just really brought her back to himself and community in a really surprising way. So I hope you enjoy this and let's listen to Sarah's story. Hey, I'm so excited today to have Sarah Bessie on the Restory Show. She is awesome. We met each other in a very strange place, uh, actually an awesome place in Haiti, and we shared a very crowded room the first night, and then from that point on, we just shared a very large room and uh, got to be like buddies and talk uh, late into the night and experience poverty on a particular level, and we also got to fund a school afterwards. So we had a lot of amazing things happen in that short period of time. So Sarah, thanks for coming today on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Mary. This is just such a treat. We're just so excited. We haven't talked for a long time, so we're like looking at each other and like, oh, hi. So it's been great. (laughs) So you get to eavesdrop on our conversation, basically. So uh, Sarah has an amazing story, and I'm just going to ask you, Sarah, to give us a little background about your faith story, how you met Jesus, and um, bring us up to the point where you met your husband. We'll start there. Once a dark and stormy night. You know? yes. <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm Canadian, so I'm I'm from uh, Western Canada, and the context that I grew up in, you know, was I, I would think I would probably describe it now was more post Christian. So there weren't a lot of people that we knew who, you know, went to church or that. Um, you know, Christianity was a big part of their lives or, you know, on, on a daily basis anyway. It was kind of our grandparents or great-grandparents who were the last generation who really went to church. And uh, every part of Canada, of course, has their own, you know, story in that regard. But in the the pocket of, uh, of the prairies where I grew up, that was kind of where things were at. So when I was a child, I want to say I probably was about the age of my children right now. So or some of them, I have everything from preteens to, to uh, babies here. <laughs> the ones who are a little bit older, they, uh, my parents were just radically, radically saved. They mm. just turned their life upside down. First generation Christians, very zealous, had a really deep encounter with the things of God, experienced the spirit in really turn your life upside down sort of ways. 
And so that sort of started our family on this journey. And so we were, you know, kind of part of these really small organic churches and, you know, community centers and basements. Like we had zero idea of where we stood in the, you know, larger Christian tradition, right? Like we had never heard of hymns or, you know, the church calendar, never heard of, I don't think I heard about Lent and Palm Sunday until I was in university. So, I mean, and yet I had been a Christian for 15 years. So, I mean, our pockets of, and of course, this is the days before the internet and before all that kind of, you know, accessibility even in terms of what you could, uh, could access. And so, I mean, it was a, a really sweet way to grow up. You know what? It was, you know, a lot of us were first generation believers. A lot of us were kind of misfits, uh, didn't know where we really fit. And we just were crazy about Jesus. And so, that was sort of my beginning point and how things started through that, of course. I mean, I think that, you know, you kind of start to enter into the more church industrial complex thing, that sort of, thing, <laughs> you know, uh, begins at a certain point. And so, you know, moved around a few times and ended up going to university in the States where I met my husband. And I was just really dazzled by American Christianity at first. These great big, huge churches and the mega churches and the industry around it and all these other things. But I don't know, it was it was a difficult thing for me, you know, in, in a lot of ways. I didn't quite, I felt like I kind of lost Jesus in church hmm. for a while, if that makes sense. And ended up uh, getting married to my husband. And um, that was about 15 years ago. And he entered ministry at that point, and uh, and we were kind of off and running. Wow. Uh, first of all, I have to say that your next book should be called Pockets of Prairies, because that is the <laughs> best phrase I've ever heard. You grew up in the pocket of the prairies. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really curious. Um, as someone, I grew up actually a very similar background as you in terms of I lived in the Pacific Northwest and was in that kind of same kind of culture and didn't really understand the American church like on a large scale until I moved to Texas where everything's big in Texas. And I told God that I would never, (laughs) this is really bad. So I'm really sorry, first of all, to all you Southern Baptists out there, but I told God (laughs) I love when a sentence starts like that. That's yeah. a good start. I thought they all had big hair and I was, I just don't have, I'll never cope. I have the smallest hair ever. But uh, I said, I'm not going to a Southern Baptist church and I'm not going to a mega church. And God has us, my husband and I at the Southern Baptist mega church and he's a, an elder there and, and we're learning, <laughs> you know, we're thriving there and it's amazing. But you come to the South, because I, I know you were in the South, right? When you came well, I wouldn't. I think that Texans would probably kick against being described as part of the South. They think, yeah, yeah. I was in Oklahoma and in Texas for about eight years, yeah, and so it was a really running. different sort of culture for sure. Yeah. It was a big culture shock for me in a lot of different ways, not just religiously, politically, socially, in a lot of yes. different ways. And looking back on it now, I'm thankful for that, you know, experience because I feel like I learned a lot. I was certainly hugged more in three weeks in Texas than I was in my entire life previous. Oh, and bless so, your heart. That's, really that's what they say too. <laughs> such a friendly and outgoing place. And I like the pace of it. So there were a lot of things I really loved about it for sure. So in what ways, as you look back and as you've been, you've written a book about your journey, you know, in and out and through and around Christianity and finding your way to Jesus in the middle of all the craziness, uh, it's called Out of Sorts. And I have not read it yet. I totally want to. It's on my to be read pile. But give us the listeners a little bit about how you lost Jesus in the Christian industrial complex and how you kind of clawed your way back. Well, you know, I think that there was a pretty big, like a lot of people, I don't think that any of us can really point to one inciting incident, right? There's always just kind of this thicket almost of of questions and issues and doubts and things that kind of wrestle. And so 
For me, you know, I want to say that the seeds were planted there long before I, you know, those things were happening. In a way, I felt like I was really good at compartmentalizing, Mm. you know, like I would just kind of like, oh, this is something that really kind of bugs me, or this is something that's, you know, sticking a little bit, or I'm not really sure what I think about this, or this is, I don't know if I can keep to the party line on this one, but I'll just go ahead and tuck this away and, you know, go work harder for Jesus, you know, (laughs) and sing louder and go to more Bible studies and hope that that, you know, takes care of things, right? And so I think that you can do that for a little bit of time. And and I'm sure that some people maybe even go through their whole lives that way. But I've never really felt that we really will truly know the Lord um, from a place of intellectual or spiritual dishonesty. And so for me, that's what that place became because I was trying so hard and pretending so hard. And then eventually I felt like there was this big crash. But it wasn't simply about things like, you know, oh, doctrine, and I don't know what I think about the Bible. And I mean, those things were part of it, for sure. It was, you know, can I trust the Bible? What do I think about, you know, the origins of evil and who God actually is? And what about Jesus? And what is church even for? And what do these things mean? And I mean, all these different things that are very, um, you know, real questions that had their roots in my real life. But it was even things that were going on in my own life that had their roots there. I mean, at the time, my husband and I were going through a lot of um, struggles with Uh, having children, and I would get pregnant and have miscarriages frequently. And so I mean, just I felt like there wasn't a lot of room for my grief in church, Mm. or at least in the kind of churches that I was a part of. And I was hurting, I didn't feel like I could bring that grief uh, to that place that God was starting to exist outside of really tidy answers for me. And when you're oftentimes within a community or within a church tradition that really encourages the you know, victory for Jesus and the three quick answers to something, when you don't feel like you add up to the sum any longer, you end up feeling a little bit outside and left behind. And so for me, you know, there were a lot of different, you know, components that all kind of went into that women's roles in church and, you know, all those other types of things, my my heart for justice awakening Mm -hmm, to what mm -hmm. was like the larger story that was going on outside of kind of the big building campaigns and, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that kind of stuff. And, you know, what was amazing to me is that I look back on where I was, you know, 10 or, or 15 years ago at that time when all this kind of shifting was happening. And when I wrote Out of Sorts, and I wrote that book, I was really thinking, what was it that I would have wanted to hear in that time of my life? Because everything was recentered and resurrected for me on Jesus. You know, I don't, I don't think anybody's more surprised than me to find myself back in church and like mm-hmm. an actual official church lady, like love. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I thought I would never go back to church. I thought he'd evolved past it, right? And mm-hmm. so when I looked back and thought, what is it? I have a real tenderness in my heart for people who are in that season of their life of questioning and wondering and, and a wilderness, uh, because I feel like it's something that as a church, we don't shepherd people really well through. We tend to like people to fit into the box. And when they don't, it's either you're backslidden or you're out, right? And so for those of us who are evolving or shifting or changing or moving and, and, and growing in our faith in that way, and we feel like sometimes there's a really high price to pay for that with our communities, with our beliefs, with all those different things. I thought one of the things that I really wanted people to hear or that I really wish I would have heard, I guess, is that you don't have to be afraid. Mm. And that the spirit is often breathing in those very changes that can terrify you and that the love of God is as present and real and accessible and in the change and in the evolution and in the shiftings as it is when you have all your neatly indexed, you know, in cards and, you know, systematic theologies and, whatever, yes. and answers. But when you're in that liminal place, mm-hmm. um, that the love of God can become one of the most grounding and essential and encompassing things in your life and that you do not need to be afraid. 
I love that. And I've, I've been reading some Richard Rohr lately, and he talks about liminal space, as, as do others. And I have found myself in that place often. And I think as I look back on my own journey, I see myself now, and I'm sure you would say the same thing. I look back on what I believed in my 20s, and I'm like, who is that crazy girl? You know, I know, right? Don't you just feel really tenderhearted towards them? Like, bless your heart. You were such a hot mess. You you blessed little legalist. You, yes, I was such a legalist. I wanted to be a good girl for Jesus. And, and so I'm so glad I'm not there anymore. But what you said about the love of God, he loved me just as much then as he loves me now, who is more grace centered than I was before. And so I think that also helps us to recognize that we need to be that way with other people because they're all on this journey and we don't need to be afraid because Jesus is big enough to reach anybody any way he wishes. I met a girl recently who was into very heavy witchcraft in a South African nation. I mean, it was bad. Like it was, she was like the next witch doctor of her village. Like that was where it was. And Jesus showed up in a dream and uh, she changed her life and people were killed as a result. I mean, it was, it was a terrible, scary story, an amazing story. But Jesus just was like, I'm going to trump all that. I'm going to jump into your dream. And she was like, wow, here, the thing she said to me was, here is an entity that is way more powerful than anything I've ever experienced, but he is loving. And so mm-hmm. I thought that was so fascinating, you know, just that loving aspect of it. So when you were going through this, and, and I know this, you can't put a time period on it because I think we're all kind of evolving in the, what we're believing we allow. I think as we get older, we allow ourselves the questions. But was there a couple points where people were awesome to you and kind of let you be? What was some of the good things that a friend or a mentor told you that kind of walked you or shepherded you through? You know, I had so many people who I felt were giving me almost water in the desert. Because it, it did feel like a desert for a really long period of time for me. Um, the ways that I had encountered God were not, quote unquote, working you know, mm-hmm. anymore. I felt like all my answers had dissolved. I didn't know who God was. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I wanted for my life anymore. I mean, all those different things. And in those places, I, am, I look back. And as you were saying earlier, I mean, you do feel a tenderness for where you were before. And I hope that I can bring that same humility even to the places where I am right now, where I'm pretty sure. And I think I've got all my answers or I think I'm quite settled. And I'm I'm fairly certain that 10 years from now, I'll look back likely on who I am right now and, and feel kind of that same mix of relief that I'm not there anymore and, and tenderness, you know, for the person that you used to be. So, you know, I think that that's part of it, right, is that we are always changing and um, in response to that unchanging Christ. Right, that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And if we ever stagnate, then we're kind of missing the point. You know, that transformation is, is part of it. That's that we are always being transformed into the image of Christ. And so when I look back and I think, you know, I remember, well, first of all, my husband, you know, my husband and I were in very different places during this season of our life. As I said before, at the time he was in ministry, he's not any, any longer in, in how we, you know, typically define it, right? The full time vocational ministry sort right, of right. You know, paradigm. <laughs> which of course we could parse all day long. But anyway, mm-hmm. you know, at the time, you know, as we were kind of emerging from that season in our life, I tacked really hard to anti-institutions, did not go to church for six years, really was highly suspicious of anything smacking of authority and hierarchy. Just, I mean, the the things and the, and the, the, I could no longer kind of turn my eyes to kind of like the shadow side of the machine, right? And so I was, you know, 
just itchy about anything that looked like an institution and could not hardly even manage more than just to, you know, talk theology in a pub with people. Like that was the most I could probably manage at the time. And I encounter God in really um, new and different ways. I think that that's sometimes something that church people don't want to affirm and recognize is that you can find community in really crazy places. And like you were saying, I mean, you know, God will travel any road to find you. And, and I encounter God in the spirit incredibly profoundly off the page. But my husband tacked really hard more towards like wanting, you know, things like a seminary education mm-hmm, and wanting mm-hmm. things like, um, you know, ecclesiastical structures and authorities and, you know, like these types of things of denominations even and whatever else. And so, we, I mean, we were quite a pair for a few years there for sure. And I felt like one of the biggest things that we decided at the beginning of that season, we didn't know if it would be our whole marriage. We didn't know if either one of us would shift and change. We didn't know really which one was wrong. But I think we, at that point, we decided we really wanted to love well in this place. Hmm. You know, very few of us, when you get married, particularly when you get married young, you know, finish at the end with the exact same spouse you started with. Sure. And, and I think that that's kind of the point. I think one of the greatest gifts you can give each other in marriage is room to change mm-hmm. and a commitment to change together, to walk that path together. And so I felt like he did a really good job of that with me. He was never afraid. And I think that I took his faith and conviction and his lack of fear hmm. into me as a real um, blessing. Because on top of me doing, you know, being in a very different place than him, he was not threatened by it. He did not seem fussy about it. It was just, we're going to let each other both be wrong or both be right. And we're going to continue to talk and love well and dialogue and find the center points as much as we possibly can and, and not force either one of us into something that, that is a violation to where you feel you are in the mm-hmm. spirit and whether with your soul and love each other really well in that place. Uh, and what's funny is, is like, you know, if we started kind of really close together and we kind of almost did this ellipse, like where we went really far out from each other, but then we ended up swinging and it wasn't, you know, manufactured. There was this no sense of inauthenticity or this sense of like either one of us pulling rank with the other one. We're just, we allowed the spirit to work in each one of us together. We stayed really closely united. And then you end, we ended up in a very similar place. I mean, we, there's still a lot of points where we disagree, you know, on certain things here and there, but, you know, we have... I guess, have a lot of peace with that, you know, and, and we've ended up in a very similar place, which we never really probably would have imagined 10 years ago. So that was one. Um, other pastors I've encountered along the way gave me freedom, a lot of freedom to do what I needed to do. They, and I you know another thing a lot of people did who were leaders in my life or who were church leaders at the time, they didn't take personally my angst. Hmm. And my frustrations, they allowed me to feel and they didn't try to minimize them. They didn't try to say that, you know, would pat pat on the head and, and don't worry about it. I had, you know, several people who gave me the grace to be a little bit arrogant and wrong at times and, and to understand that oftentimes we go, we overcorrect and they weren't afraid of that. And I, I think about that often as I watch people oftentimes when you very first emerge out of, you know, what you were given at the beginning, there is this overcorrection, almost like this adolescent, like, I'm going to define myself by what I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> sort mm-hmm. of thing, right? And all the ways these other people are doing it wrong and, you know, all this other kind of stuff. And so I think that people who had that patience and that long view really brought a lot of richness and goodness to my life. I love that. And I love, you know, just the kindness. And I think what you said about your husband about having peace and not being freaked out. I think it would be hard as a spouse not to freak out or not to, you know, oh my gosh, my wife's going off the deep end or whatever, (laughs) you know, like I probably would have done that. I think there were a lot of people in his ear being like, you're called to ministry. What this woman is a liability, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
So that's kudos to him and great depth that he must have had that he continues to have, you know, that you both can love each other through these transitions. And, you know, I think, I think that's one of the hardest things that we experience as a couple. And maybe you can speak to this a little bit too. I know the longer we've been in ministry and in the church, there's a lot of lovely and amazing things that I applaud and love and just am in love with about. But then there's also the cynical side of me. And the cynicism can get really high (laughs) (laughs) on both of us. And we can just like jump to cynicism really quickly. And so what are some of the things that you've done or that have been helpful for you not to go down the cynicism road too far? You know, I remember reading a quote by George Carlin once that said, if you scratch any cynic, you'll find a disappointed idealist. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) He's right. right. And so I I feel that way sometimes. Um, So for me, I mean, I do feel like I want to be one of the things I, I remember really clearly coming to a few years ago was just a really strong encounter with with God where I felt like I hadn't made the distinction between being a critical thinker and having a critical heart. And so for me, that is really where it's rooted, where, you know what, I, I wanted to be a critical thinker. I want to be able to, to really weigh things and, and be like, is this right? Is this wrong? What is most, you know, what are some challenges that I can bring to this? What are some ways I can refine? What are, what are, what are the ways where the Spirit is wanting to lead me further into redemption here, further into what um, maybe, you know, God's dream for humanity is? So, of course, there's a lot of critical thinking you have to do in that. I mean, you don't just automatically swallow everything that you are, you know, given, that's part of being an adult. That's part of, of even, I would say, um, you know, your curiosity and, and um, your sense of wonder, you know, is, is really hidden in that place of critical thinking and, and the what if and the what is it that's active here. But there's a way I really do believe to be a critical thinker without having a critical heart. And that to me is where it really comes down to. And so for me, I've been, I feel like I still practice that as a discipline mm. um, and try to keep that awareness of when my heart is becoming critical, when I'm starting to become really critical of people's motivations or of their, you know, why things are the way that they are. I mean, sometimes you can, it's quite obvious, but that doesn't mean that you ever approach them with anything other than the, the tenderness of Jesus and the compassion of them being a de- dearly and deeply beloved child of God just as much as any of the rest of us, mm-hmm. even if I maybe have some critical thought or, or some, and when I say critical thought, I don't mean things like, you know, being necessarily being actually critical, but I mean, more just thinking like a real grown up about things and being able to kind of say, you know, here's, I want to think about this objectively. I want to look at this through the lens of scripture and through tradition and community and all these different things that kind of really come into play about what we do and how we do it and why we do it and who we are. But can I do all those things without giving myself over to cynicism and bitterness and unforgiveness? I think that you can. For the listeners of ReStory, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check out their service. And today, I'm going to suggest that you try Out of Sorts, Making Peace with an Evolving Faith by Sarah, Sarah Bessie. And it's available at audible.com. Just put that in the little search engine and you can download it or any other book that you're interested in at audibletrial.com forward slash ReStory. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash ReStory for your free audiobook. Yeah. And I think there's hope in that statement because, you know, really we could do all the things, but if we do them without love, I mean, Paul says we're just a clanging symbol. So we're going to encounter people, Christian or not Christian, Christ follower or not Christ follower, who have different opinions from us. 
But I think one thing that I've learned, and, and you know, maybe it's not true in Canada, but one thing I've learned in being overseas and coming back to the United States of America is that Americans, I would say, let's just say Americans, tend to want to have a winner and a loser. One of the things that we experienced in France was we would sit around a table and we would argue, but then some of the French people would take the opposite argument that they just totally were for, you know, and argue the opposite argument. And then we would all kiss each other's cheek and leave and we'd be friends. Well, that just can't happen in the U.S. I think it can in faith communities, but we typically have to have you're the you're right and I'm wrong, or I'm right and you're wrong, or I'm the winner and you're the loser. And there's no it's a dichotomy that can't be passed. And so if you have that idea, then then you tend to hurt or hate or dislike or marginalize the person who differs from you instead of seeing them as you said as a, a someone who God dearly dearly loves. Yeah, no, it's very, very true. And I mean, I think that there's a lot of different ways where we encounter that. I mean, I think one of the things that I recognize is that when you are, you know, abiding in Christ, when you are someone who is shaped by, uh, by following Jesus, as opposed to by, I've gone to church my whole life, and this is how I behave, and this is what we do. It's like, when you're actually discipled and apprenticed yourself to Jesus's way of life, and you're abiding in that vine, and the fruit that you bear does look like the fruit of the Spirit. And so, if you are looking at things, and, and you are encountering and, and interacting with people and developing relationships, or any which way, and they are not characterized by that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, then you really, you know, have to wonder, right? I mean, I think that that's one of the things that I've really kind of put into my own test or my own, uh, test is no wrong, not the right word, but you know what I mean? Like just kind of this sense of like uh, a guide or a North like your Star. Like lit- your litmus test. test or whatever. Yeah. Right, exactly. And so, I mean, I guess I feel like, you know, if at any point I'm kind of like so glad that I don't, you know, think this any longer and I've so evolved past it, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. well, obviously at that point you're up, not that enlightened because you've got such a tremendous amount of pride about it. You, yes. know? <laughs> I, you know, you're like the Pharisee. I'm so glad I'm not a sinner like all those other people over <laughs> yes. there, right? <laughs> whatever it's about, right? So... Well, tell me a little bit about, and this is one of the things I love to talk about, obviously, because it's Jesus. So tell me what fascinated or drew you kind of back in closer to the heart of Jesus. What about him attracted you or how did you encounter him in in new and fresh ways that you may not have expected? Oh, honestly, I feel like we could talk about this for an hour. But, you know, when I very first broke with going to church, I did it with this sense of like, I don't think I can call myself a Christian any longer. Mm. That was a name that I felt really was uh, difficult for me. I felt like it was signing me up as, um, you know, with a group of people I was not prepared to be aligned with, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. All these crazy people. I mean, I felt like I couldn't identify as a Christian any longer. And so at that point, I started, you know, kind of flippantly almost calling myself a follower of Jesus. And then I remember it was, it's the funniest thing. I, I just, you know, bless my own heart. Uh, I remember <laughs> looking back and, and, and actually having this moment of like, well, if I'm following, I should probably figure out who he is. <laughs> you think? Yeah. It was literally that simple. Like just being, I have no idea actually who Jesus is. I mean, I felt like I had this really like hazy, sweet childhood association with Jesus. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I had kind of lost Jesus in the whole church machine for a while. Like we talked about everything but Jesus. It was like Jesus was just like a character in the rest of like, but the whole thing was important. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so I really, I mean, like any good Protestant, you start in the Bible, right? And so I started with scripture and just really, you know, read the gospels over and over and over again. And I just remember being like shocked by Jesus, just literally feeling like I didn't understand him. 
that he was way more wild and untamed than I would have expect, uh, expected that there were times when I was like, I think Jesus is kind of a bit of a jerk sometimes. I don't really understand what's happening here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. All this like sweet, nice guy things that I sort of had tricked out in my mind of what Jesus was like was just upended. And so all of a sudden at that point, I began just voraciously studying like, who is Jesus? What does this mean? And I remember this one day in particular, my husband and I were at in our in our house, and he was actually washing vegetables from the garden. And I remember I was sitting at the table, I was reading Luke's, uh, Luke chapter 6, it was the Sermon on the Mount. And I remember like slamming my Bible shut and looking up at Brian and being like, I'd follow that guy. Hmm. Like I literally felt angry because I was like, this is amazing. This man is amazing. No wonder people you know, left everything and abandoned their vocations and their homes and just like chased after him. And no wonder women were breaking flasks of perfume and and wanting to wipe them with their tears. And no wonder everybody was chasing after him. I feel that in my heart. I want to chase him like that. I want to follow him like that. I want to be shaped by him like that. And I just felt like I almost got born again all over again, over this sense of like, he's everything I could have hoped. And Mm. it was just like this, everything you could hope for, He's as good as you imagine and everything you would want. And I just remember at that point being like, all the rest of it, this is, this is it. Jesus is what God had to say. That's what Brian Zond always says, that Jesus is what God has to say. And I, it changed how I read scripture. It changed how I moved through my life. It changed how I did everything because all of a sudden Jesus wasn't just like another character in the Bible. But instead, this was the lens through which everything changed, including how I followed him. And then the funny thing was, I ended up back in church because I kept wanting to find more people who love Jesus. And that's where a lot of them were. (laughs) (laughs) They do hang out there. (laughs) Funny how that is. So it was just the loveliest thing. And even now, I just feel so thankful for that experience and so thankful for that because it was reorienting and disorienting and turned everything upside down in all the best ways. And it just was like, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it sometimes. But that's one thing I really love about you. And one thing I loved, fell in love with you about during Haiti was just, you just love Jesus. And he's just your Lord, your Savior, your friend, your confidant, all those things. And that really shines through. And I think a lot of people, I, I think they forget. I think they forget. I think there can be structures that cause us to, or it can just be as simple as our crazy everyday lives. I know for me, just walking through a season where my husband lost his job and we are in like crisis, we are in crisis mode. And I've been a poo-poo face <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> I've been pouting and I have thrown a few prayers heavenward, but I have not like spent that like deep spiritual time just saying, Jesus, I am a mess. You need to help me with my problems. (laughs) And I just need to know you in the middle of this. So it's, it's refreshing to have this conversation because I needed it today. And, uh, I needed to remember the wild, crazy beauty of Jesus because he is the only reason I'm on this planet today that I didn't take my life when I was a kid and that, you know, he rescued me from so much. So I love hearing that. Now, as you're back in church, how have you encountered him in ways that maybe surprised you? You know, I think that one of the things that has surprised me the most has been how often I have come full circle on things, how the very things that often I thought had wounded me or hurt me, Jesus redeemed hmm. and gave me gave me clear eyes to see them again. Uh, things like church, um, community, you know, even scripture. 
you know, whatever else it is. Even the the traditions that I grew up with as a child that I thought, you know, because I grew up more in charismatic, you know, happy, clappy kind of churches. And and even how those practices have been brought back, you know, to me. But I mean, really, at the at the end of the day, I, I feel this profound sense of challenge in the idea of really making, I, I feel like my, my, the, the radical spiritual discipline in my life, the thing that, that I am still circling around, and I probably will for the rest of my life, is learning how to live like I belong with Jesus mm. and letting that drive my behavior, letting that drive what I believe. And just that, that profound sense of, of the belovedness that we have in Christ, that we are deeply loved, and that that is a safe place for us. Uh, wherever we move and and whatever happens to us or with us or through us, that that is the the center point. It's no longer this place of striving or earning or having to have this like evangelical hero complex of always having to be like up top looking down and, mm-hmm. you know, always in this big like success, you know, consumer narrative we've kind of bought into. But instead, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus is way more wild and wonderful and generous than we could have ever imagined. And there are so many places where we encounter that. I love what you said, and and I'm going to ask you a question because we're in the same place, I think. Both of us rail against kind of the consumer idea of Jesus, but both of us are both authors who are part of the complex. (laughs) So (laughs) we sell the books. (laughs) We do. Please buy my book. Uh, um, And so it's a, it's a great place to be. I feel like it's a place to be prophetic and to, to sound the call and the alarm about the fact that fame never causes people to meet Jesus really. I mean, that's not really the thing. He wasn't, he was always like running away from crowds and I mean, he didn't shun people or anything like that, but the kingdoms, the kingdom math is all about little becoming much. It's about negative becoming positive. It's about the widow becoming awesome. And it's not what you expect. It's all opposite. So how do you, how have you found in uh, as a writer and in this industry? How have you kept your heart okay? Or how have you been able to frame it in a way that makes it okay? I think my, my head was nodding so hard the whole time you were talking, but um, it is is a complex thing, and I one I still grapple with, to be honest. And I feel a lot, I feel the complexity and the nuance there. I really drive a lot of it by um, you know by motivation, and I try frequently to check my own motivation and my own heart um, because initially when I because I got my start as a blogger and still you know still love to blog, but you know blogging is incredibly accessible. And it is more of a meritocracy. And so for me, I felt like, you know, I, I have given away my work for, you know, 12 years, created it, put content out, created, you know, and, and walked the journey with a lot of people um, in this kind of subversive outside the gate kind of way, mm-hmm. uh, which I really like. And, and, and that little rebel in me that still loves that still is really loyal to that medium, mainly because, I mean, honestly, when else in the history of the church would someone like, when anyone care? what someone like me thinks about, you know, church and theology and, you know, women and ministry and Jesus and all this other kind of stuff. Like never, <laughs> they never would have cared. And so things like the internet and this kind of like blogging thing, you know, got people like me who are a little bit outside of the usual narrative and leadership structures, right? Mm-hmm. And not American, uh, a woman, you know, all these other kinds of things, as well as other people who are also, you know, kind of outside that usual American machine, they got us past the gatekeepers. And so that's kind of refreshing. And I think mm-hmm. it's it's refreshing when people like us who are a little bit outside of the usual narrative can show up, you know, but at the same time, so when I very first started, I was like, okay, I'm not going to do the whole celebrity thing. I find it kind of gross. 
really don't like the celebrity worship of like, you have to have this big, huge, you know, ministry, and you've got to be saving the world three times a week on by Tuesday, you know, like that kind of thing. But then I really felt convicted of, is there not room for people like me within that? Is there a way to bring that nuance and that complexity and that message even into that space? And even I was convicted because I realized how incredibly sincere, like 99% of the people who are often within, you know, what, what I was criticizing often were, and the amazing work that the Spirit was doing even in that place. And so, I mean, for me, it still is a bit of a complex thing and something I still weigh, and, um, and I, I hope my heart is open to it. And so it's not ever really an easy answer, I guess, for me. I mean, I really do feel like I check my motivations often, and I feel like I know when I'm being gross. So I try to avoid as much as I can being gross. I remember this one conference that I I went to one time and I was supposed to be speaking to this huge crowd of people. I was really, really nervous about it. And like literally the night before I felt woken up at midnight and just was like, you need to throw out your whole message and get up there and tell all these women to stop trying so hard. And it was like one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because I got up there and I was like, all these women are here because they want to be heroes because they want, they bought into the whole like be radical and be crazy and lay your life down and sacrifice everything and ministry, ministry, ministry. And I like literally got up there and was like, you need to stop striving. Mm. You need to enter into the rest that Jesus has come to you. You need to start seeing beautiful obscurity and ordinariness as a sacrament before God and having the, uh, you know, that's what uh, Lucy Shaw calls like a baptized imagination, you know, for your current life as it Mm. stands right now to be an altar for God. And that was kind of a scary thing to do. But I remember walking off the stage and being like, okay, I will never be asked back. (laughs) (laughs) So glad I had the opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and so it'd be easy to play the game, I guess, sometimes, but I've kind of gotten tired of it, I guess. But well, I think part of that is just having that interruptibleness of the Holy Spirit of just hearing. And that's, I think, where your charismatic background can come into play of just this receptivity to hearing the Spirit, to understanding the voice of the Spirit, praying for the people that have to hear afterwards. But but yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I think it's, you're right. It's something we we're in, but we battle against in terms of this idea of celebrity. And But I think it does come back to just being close, just being as close as you possibly can to Jesus and hearing from Him and and not, I think for me, one of the things that helped me was the first writer's conference I went to, right before I went to it, the Lord like flashed a vision in my mind. And he showed me like all the bad things that have ever happened to me. And I'm like, wow, that was great. Thanks, Lord. Um, <laughs> and I said, You're so encouraging. Jesus. Yeah, so encouraging. I said, uh, Lord, that, that's a lot of trials. And he said, Yes, you have withstood many trials, but will you withstand the trial of notoriety? And then at the conference, Randy Alcorn was the speaker, and he speaks all about eternal perspective and writes about eternal perspective. And he said something. He said, if God grants you fame or fame happens to you, you have to remember that it's only so that you can serve more. It is a platform of service. And so that has always really helped me to remember this is not about me getting, you know, having the speaker coordinator getting me the right latte and, you know, whether the temperature in my room is a certain blah, blah, blah. It's about me serving that person and loving them and praying for them. It's not about me. So that has helped keep me um, grounded and keep my head on straight. (laughs) I think that that's a great perspective. And I think it's a great way to look at it, just to really look at it as, as service and to see it more from that perspective. I also really try to come into it with the perspective of, I want to be taught. 
mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that I have no more right to be up on the the platform probably than anyone else in that room because I am still quite a mess in a lot of different ways and I and I hope that I never give this illusion that I have all my my stuff together and that you know somehow you've arrived right and you're this this paragon. I mean, I think that there are things that we can look to and learn from one another, but I really do try to approach it from the standpoint of it's weird. You know, sometimes it is, it's weird. It's weird to be on stage and to be talking to people and, and have that place of influence, but stewarding it well, um, always wanting to point people to Jesus uh, and never to my myself as the winner here. And also really from that standpoint of, you know, we are on this journey together and this is something I can bring in this moment, but I want to be teachable and open to what everybody else has to bring as well. And the funny thing is, is in a lot of those places I have found a profound encounter and shaping that has happened for me, you know, in those places. But I have also found that the transformations of God were also far away from the conferences and the, you know, books and whatever else too, right? And so I want to affirm and acknowledge and make space for that as well and not act like this is kind of like the only place where you're going to encounter God is here in this arena, right? (laughs) Yes, there's something magical about it. So, okay, we're, we're coming toward the end here, and I want to ask you first, what kind of advice you would give to someone who's walking through this wrestling period in their faith? What would you say to them as an encouragement? You know, there's a few things that I probably would say. Well, obviously there is. I wrote a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, get your book. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, I think that probably the thing that I would say, first of all, is that it's entirely normal and healthy, that there's nothing broken and wrong with you. You know, one of the things that I, I studied and learned a lot about is just, you know, by um, that we do go through these stages of our growth and our change and that this is entirely normal and good and healthy for you to move out of like the, the literalism and the black and white thinking and the if this, then that, you know, sort of, of thoughts and to bring more nuance and, and welcome and, and voices into your life. So, I mean, it's entirely normal and healthy and good. But then on top of that, uh, that, like I said earlier, that you don't need to be afraid of it and that you are really deeply loved and that God will meet you in that place. And, and you will be surprised, you know, how few of, of you know, things maybe are left intact, but you might also be surprised by what you return to and what becomes really beautiful to you on the other side of that, that journey. But I, I just think that, you know, if you're getting to the end of your life with all the same ideas and beliefs and, and habits and thoughts, you're kind of missing the point. You know, it means you're not paying attention. You're supposed to be paying attention. You're supposed to be changing. You're supposed to be wrestling with these things. Uh, and my whole point in writing the book wasn't to be like, oh, you don't know what to think. Here's a nice new set, you know, of packaged answers for you, you know, go ahead and take these and call me in the morning. You know, it was more about, you know, I feel like everybody kind of will end up in a different place because we start in such different places. But I mean, is the spirit not present in that place? Mm -hmm. Of course, Mm -hmm. of course, the spirit is present in, in that place and and often breathing in them. Uh, And so I think that it's a, it's a beautiful and sacred time in your life and one in which you should be supported and loved and cared for, uh, however that comes. Yeah, I so resonate with that. And, and so my last question for you is, how has God restoried you in the past year or so of your life? <laughs> <laughs> I think you already know the answer. I do know the answer. I, I'm sneaky that way. Uh, well, one of the things that has happened really recently for us was um, we thought we were done having children. Uh, I had three babies in four years, and that was just kind of like this whirlwind, and they were all starting to grow up, and I was really starting to enjoy that. It was, I really enjoy having big kids, um, and it was, it, and it co- them growing up coincided at a time in my own vocation 
of, you know, my writing reaching more people and getting a lot more speaking engagements and traveling and like kind of like this whole ministry thing sort of developed really organically without me having to really, you know, strive at it, I guess is the best way to put it. And we were like, wow, look at this new life we kind of are entering into. Our kids are so great and they're growing up and I feel like a person again, which is always nice, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) when you're in kind of that stage of raising small children and then you come out of it, you're like, wow, blink, blink, there's a world out here. I can sleep. (laughs) I can't even fathom it. So, I mean, I was kind of in that place and then like we just completely unexpectedly found ourselves expecting a new baby and it was really disorienting for me. It was a total reset um, to a time in my life that I thought I had left. I mean, I'd gotten rid of all the baby stuff. All the things were gone. I was on a scrounging mission for everything. But I mean, and I, it was a, a huge, um, it was a difficult pregnancy, a difficult delivery for me. I mean, I'm, I'm an older mother now, quote unquote, according to, to the doctors anyway. Uh, and having a baby at this age is not the same as it is, was 10 years ago, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so there was that aspect of it. I mean, it was physically, you know, challenging. It was emotionally challenging. It was spiritually challenging. It was, you know, it was even this sense of like, I'm resetting a lot of things because I completely shut it down. I mean, I shut down. I mean, there were a lot of people who came alongside me and were like, you need to, you know, stay faithful to the the ministry God's mm. given you and you need to keep going, going, going and don't pause and just take, you know, four weeks off or six weeks off and then get back on the road. And mm. I... It's like, I feel like that's not the kind of mom I am and that's not the kind of person I am. And I'd rather not have this attitude of like scarcity that there's not enough and I got to keep hustling to keep my spot. Like I'll give up my spot before I'll give up my spot here with the baby, right? So I ended up having a total reset and spending a year, you know, at least I spent a year in, you know, I kind of just did a, almost a homemade mat leave, you know, because here in Canada, we get a year of mat leave. And so I just was like, you know, what? I'm going to take a year off. And so I did. And it was like really hard because mm. all of a sudden you do realize you're like, okay, I'm not in the spotlight. I'm not influential. I'm not this, you know, what is it that God has for me in this place? And then on top of that, you're not sleeping, you know, you're, you're, you're physically still recovering. You've still got, you know, now you've reset into having being, you know, having four little children and I mean, all these different things. And yet it has been one of the most beautiful and, and wonderful seasons of my life. And I'm only just now starting to kind of be like, okay, I feel like, you know, she's nearly a year old right now. She's 11 months. And I'm now kind of being like, oh, okay, well, maybe I could actually write another book at some point in my life. And maybe, you know, maybe we can kind of figure out how this is happening. So she's coming with me on the road a little bit this spring and we're traveling together and going to try a couple of dates and see how that works together. And, but if it doesn't work, then I feel really comfortable with kind of letting it go too. And so it was a total reset of my life for the last, you know, two years almost, right? From the time I found out I was pregnant until, you know, to right now. And it has been one of the best things that has probably ever happened to to our entire family. She is an absolute delight. She's like the center ring for the circus. And uh, <laughs> it's been really fun seeing the big kids with the baby. And I mean, my husband and I, I mean, just all these different things. It's never, it wasn't, I'm not saying it wasn't hard because it was hard. There were a lot of things about it that were hard. Um, that kind of reorientation of your life and your career and all those things, it's, it's, it's definitely hard. And it is one of the most brilliant and beautiful things that I've ever experienced as well. And I have, am so incredibly grateful for her life and for the way that she has already shifted and changed all of us. I'm just, I cannot even imagine what a, what a gift she is to this family. Besides the fact that she is one of the cutest babies I've ever seen. She is she so is. cute. Who knew my husband would make such a cute little girl? Like, <laughs> she, <laughs> she is like 
spit an image of Brian. It's like I had nothing to do with this child other than her blue eyes. She is like my husband in miniature. It's a funny yes, thing. I can see that in her definitely, but she's really cute. She is such a sweet little thing. She is. And she's a, just a happy and delight-filled baby. I've never seen such a joyful child in my that life. That is lovely. She's even joyful when she never sleeps, which is saying something. That is saying something. That's a miracle. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been quite a delight. And I know that the listeners of The Restory Show will be so happy to hear from you. So thank you for sharing your heart and your message and, and talking about Jesus with me. I just That's the best part of the whole thing. Oh, thank you so much, Mary. I love you. <laughs> I love you too. Thanks for listening to The Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Lord, thank you for Sarah's journey, and thank you for the journey of those who are listening to this podcast today, that it's not necessarily a straight line. Sometimes it's up and down, and it's in circles. It's, it's crazy, it's surprising, it's bewildering, but you are constant. You are the unchangeable Christ, the one who does not change, even as our questions change, or we give ourselves permission to be confused or to ask the questions that we've put in compartments. So Lord, just help us to know that you're bigger than our questions. Help us to know that you adore us and love us and we are your beloved no matter where we find ourselves in our struggles. And thank you that our struggles don't scare you. They don't make you run away from us, but that you are there with us. And I thank you that as we read about you, Jesus, in the Gospels, that you are someone we would want to follow. Um, You are so infectious and outrageous and amazing that we can't help but follow after you in your revolutionary ways. But more than that, I think there's this part of us that needs to know today that you love us. So would you show us this belovedness? Would you show us today that we are deeply and wildly loved by you, just as you have done with Sarah and her family? Thank you for her life. Thank you for the lives of those listening to this podcast today. And I pray that you would bring us a brand new story or at least bring us perspective of the story that we are living right now, that maybe it's not finished. Maybe there's some unfinished parts or untied parts, but that you are still there with us, even if all of our questions or all of our plot lines are not neatly sealed up. Thank you for that. And thank you for walking alongside us in the messy places in Jesus name. Amen. If you'd like to know more about today's show with links and extended information, please go to restoryshow.com forward slash 16 or marydemuth.com forward slash restory 16. And may you live a brand new story this week.